the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. I'm Hugh Hewitt on this Wednesday morning, January 4th, year of our Lord, 2024. Good morning. There's a lot of news, and I will get to it. We've got three hours. We've got great guests today. Senator John Kennedy is going to talk to me about the border bill, which I think is going to collapse in the Senate. Chairman Gallagher is going to come along and talk about the House. We're going to talk with Selena Zito and Mary Catherine Hamm about many other things. A lot of news out of the Middle East. Israel took out the number two member of Hamas in Beirut yesterday, and that was a deft strike against a lot of the senior leadership of Hamas. They massacred 1,200 Israelis on 10-7. Israel will never rest until everyone involved in the planning of that massacre are dead. And they got a bunch of them yesterday, and they do not care that Iran and Hezbollah are upset. And we'll get into that. And there's a lot of fighting in southern Gaza, and it's not going to stop. And there's a lot of going on that I'll cover throughout the program. A lot of political news. I've already recorded today's Grand Old Pod, which is available if you belong to the universe, on movement in Iowa and New Hampshire and Donald Trump's commanding lead. Yesterday on the commentary podcast, John Podhortz, friend of the show, friend of mine, commented and he used the phrase, the elemental force of Donald Trump. But they did not pause and explain it. And I hope they... Someone is listening from commentary this morning. They go and they think about what is the source of the elemental force of Donald Trump? That I, you know, I listened. I made the mistake of listening to this about seven o'clock last night, which is late for me to take in new news because I've already got the show set up for the next morning. I get up early and do the show prep. So I get the latest headlines. But then I started thinking about the elemental force behind Donald Trump. What is it? And I explain on the grand old pod short answer. And I'll come back to this. In 2016, Peggy Noonan wrote the greatest piece of political commentary that I've read in my life on the unprotected versus the protected. That's saying a lot, right? I've read a lot in my life. Great piece in the Wall Street Journal, Peggy Noonan, before anyone saw Trump coming, before he won anything. She said, this looks to me to be about the unprotected versus the protected. The unprotected in America, the people have no margin, no bank account, no resilience. They got a job. They're trying to keep their head above water. They got kids, but they can't afford for the refrigerator to break. And God forbid the car breakdown. And they don't know what they're going to do about college. And they're maxed out on their credit cards and they're up against the wall. And the protected, I'm protected. Most of the people listening right now, if they're going to work, are protected. If you've got some money in the bank, a credit card line, if you're making 50 grand a year up to whatever, you're protected. And if you're on Social Security, it might not have a lot, but you're protected. You know, I got a pretty big family, and I, I, they all range from the unprotected to the super protected. So I know them all. And if you're in the middle of the country, you think you're part of the unprotected generally because the elites are just sending money to the West Coast to, for California to eat up and spit out in the form of benefits to people that are part of the protected class. If you're in New York City... You're just saying to yourself, what in the world is going on if you're the unprotected? Because the protected appear to be having parties and a wonderful time on New Year's Eve. And you can't cope with uh, the rising tide of illegal immigrants being bust into your city. And you wonder what's going on. So the unprotected are now the angry unprotected. And that's the elemental force behind Donald Trump. Now, Ron DeSantis, Nikki Haley, Chris Christie, they're running on a variety of different things. Uh, and some of them are kind of talking about this, but they're not connecting emotionally yet. Nikki Haley's got some very big crowds in, in New Hampshire. 
because she is the most normal person running in the view of most people. Nikki Haley is the normie. And everyone would kind of like to go away from infirm Joe Biden and angry Donald Trump in the middle if they're protected. But the unprotected don't care about normal. They're still angry. And the backdrop to this whole what took me off in this conversation is the headline. Last headline I saw before I went on the air this morning, just up at The Wall Street Journal. Claudine Gay is out as president. Where does Harvard go from here? Number one, I don't think most of the country gives a lick about what's going on at Harvard. I I really don't. I am a graduate of Harvard College, class of 1978. I'm a kid, Irish Catholic kid from Ohio, had 12 great years of Catholic education, a tough-as-nails mom, nurse, who made sure we did our homework, uh, a small-town lawyer dad. All four of my grandparents came from Ashtabula. The family is not here for very long. One was a farmer who got lucky, sort of, when his uncle died in middle age and left him some money. He went to law school. He became a small-town judge. My grandfather was a fireman. Uh, my grandmothers didn't go to, uh, to on to do anything, but they they born, raised, lived, died, buried in Ashtabula. My dad moves down the road after the war. He goes off and serves in the Great War. My mom does not go to college, but boy, Catholic education in the 50s, the 60s, and the 70s was great. I had a great Latin teacher. I had a great English teacher. I had a great geometry. I had great nuns and teachers and Catholic education. I took a good test, and I got into Harvard. And I got to Harvard, and I was reflecting this morning. I had... Uh, a grand total of eight or nine roommates. And I was making a list of them because, I mean, they were all just kind of normal people. We had a Jewish kid from Massachusetts whose dad was an engineer. I had a guy who grew up in a trailer in Montgomery, Alabama. who was the halfest, fast, fastest half-miler in Alabama, uh, you know, literalist of the Bible, Southern Baptist. I had a future radiologist who, um, who was an alum, uh, I mean a legacy, from North Carolina, really wonderful guy, doctor. Uh, I had a, a Jewish kid from Toledo, uh, just smart as can be, smartest guy I know. Uh, I had a Massachusetts middle class guy whose dad had been a high school principal, but who had died when he was young. Uh, I had a kid from um, from Somerville who grew up, his mom was a domestic, and he was up the road in Somerville. And then I had a Jewish kid from Michigan who was killed tragically between our junior and senior year, and that's how I, so I had three Jews among my uh, my eight total roommates. I never, I didn't know any Jews until I got to Harvard. But, you know, it's just that's what it was. It was a place for merit. Hi, everyone. If you've been injured in an accident that was not your fault, listen up. We have legal professionals standing by to answer your questions for free. Call now and find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Call 800-702-5400. I'm here with spokesman John Wolfe. So, John, tell everyone listening who should call right now. Well, Maria, first off, thank you for having me here. It's always nice to answer the listeners' questions. Now, as far as who should call in, anyone who's been injured in an accident and think you deserve compensation, give us a call right now. 800-702-5400. You'll find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Thanks, John. You heard it, folks. Take advantage of this opportunity and call now. 800-702-5400. Advertisement sponsored by Legal Help Center may not be available in all states. If you had good test scores and you'd done your work and you had some skill sets from here or there and occasionally a legacy point or two, you got in. And it was not politicized. It was not crazy. I had, I had, I'm a government guy. I liked it from the beginning. I've been an anti-communist since sixth grade when I read One Day in the Life of Ivan Nesovich. And I had Harvey Mansfield of the right and Judas Sklar of the left. 
I had Doris Kearns Goodwin to the left and James Q. Wilson to the right. I had Nathan Tarkov from outer space and Harvey Mansfield is the smartest guy at Harvard still. I had Alan Keyes as a tutor, a black super conservative originalist. I had just amazing professors. Uh, Gary Oren, computer scientist early in politics. Bill, um, what was Bill's last name? He also taught Gov30. I had Stanley Hoffman, left-wing anti-war guy. Uh, Fabulous. I had John uh, Finley teaching the Iliad. I just had great teachers sitting around surrounded by excellence. Judith Sklar was a lefty, but what did she know the American founding? Frank Friedell wrote the definitive biography of FDR. I'd sat and I gawked in his room. I had a guy freshman year's name I can't remember. Taught the humanities course on, on Augustine's Confessions and um, all the other great autobiographies. I had to take that as a freshman year. He took all sorts of goofy stuff. And I, I was blown away by the intellectual curiosity and the general tolerance for everyone. Well, you know, I lived with all Democrats. Every one of my roommates was a Democrat. They were all Democrats. And we didn't care. Between Dan, Mark, and I, we have known every president from Richard Nixon forward pretty well. We've had sat down, and we were three middle-class kids from Ohio and Gardner, Massachusetts. And the three of us know Richard Nixon, Gerald Ford, Jimmy Carter, Ronald Reagan, H.W., Clinton, W., Obama, Trump. Three middle-class kids from Ohio and Massachusetts. That's what Harvard did. That's the Harvard effect, the Harvard network effects. And now Harvard has melted down into a left-wing cesspool of idiocy and ideology. And I will now tie this back to Trump. America, the unprotected, are looking at this great debate. It's in every headline of every newspaper. 99.9% of America does not give a lick about what goes on at Harvard. They view it as out of touch. They don't want their kids anywhere near it as a, as a salt mine of stupidity and ideology. And it's run by a corporation headed up by Penny Pritzker, who is President Obama's Secretary of Commerce. I don't know. Maybe she's wonderful. Everyone on there is very, very rich, very, very left-wing. Everybody on the board of, very, of trustees, some of them are not very rich, but they're all very left-wing. I went up there for my 45th year alum. If you're new to the show, you don't know. I'm, I'm 67. Graduated from Harvard in 78. Went from Harvard to San Clemente to go to work for Richard Nixon in exile, because that's what happens when you come out of Harvard, and you know what you're doing. You can push it down against the verb, and you can write a little bit. Stuff happens. And they went to law school at Michigan, and long career. I'll tell you about it someday. But you just go off and do different stuff. But you don't do it now. Now you go. I, before I got to go to my own reunion, I had to answer the Inquisition questions about whether I would be offensive to people and would commit to tolerance and the views of diversity. I'm listening to some 18-year-old doing work at the Alumni Affair Office, signing me up so they can ask me for money and giving me a truth quiz, you know, a, a 1984 mine thing. And I got up there, and every panel and every person I met was left-wing, except the alumni panel, which was people talking about their lives and what was up and what was down and, and what had happened. So I'm, I'm here to tell you, Harvard, you, you have missed the bus. And by the way, the Trump voter hates this stuff. They're trying to keep their head above water. And Joe Biden let 8 million people into the country across the southern border. He's not stood by our allies, abandoned Afghanistan, has screwed up our military, has done nothing to stop Putin, and is watching the Chinese take our lunch. That's the elemental force behind Donald Trump. I hope people realize it. It's gotten, and they do not like the fake prosecutions and the Jack Smith crazy stuff and the crazy lady from Maine who's saying, I'm going to throw Donald Trump off the ballot. 
What do you think that? I'll come back and talk about that in a second. Stay tuned on YouTube. Good morning, America. I want to continue with my explanation of the the elemental force of Donald Trump, the term that John Podhorst used yesterday on the commentary podcast. There is a news story which I will guarantee 99.9% of you did not see yesterday. Massive attendance, enthusiasm at Fellowship of Catholic University Students Conference. There's a group called Focus. It was started in 1997. I am myself an evangelical Roman Catholic Presbyterian. It means one river, two banks. I am a cradle Catholic. I am in good standing with the Roman Catholic Church, though I did miss my Holy Day of Obligation on January 1, so i got to go to confession before I receive the sacraments again. But I am a Catholic, and I am a Presbyterian. I am an elder in the Presbyterian Church, and I got clearance from a bishop to do them both. And I am not a theologian. I don't have to worry about how they don't agree. I just have to, to understand God. So that's how I do it. But I went to St. Paul's in Cambridge. St. Paul's is a great institution when I was at, at Harvard, and it still is. It took care of the Catholic kids. And there was Hillel for the Jewish kids, and there was a Christian fellowship group that my friend Mark Roberts, who was my Presbyterian pastor for years, a year behind me, uh, attended at the Harvard Divinity School. I took a class from George McRae, a great Jesuit who taught at Harvard Divinity School, the history of the Catholic Church, and I had a great class there. So I did this great stuff. But this focus group didn't exist in '97. In, in 87, 1974 to 78, when I was there, it was founded in 97. And they're meeting this week in St. Louis. And there are 19,000 college kids there. Catholic college kids, 19,000. They got a bunch of nuns and priests and, and adults as well. But what 19,000 college kids at a Catholic conference. When have you seen 19,000 college kids at anything? At anything. And sitting down, listening intently and taking notes. It's not political. And have you seen a story about that anywhere? I get the Catholic News Service. And I saw it. I said, that's a wonderful thing. This country might not be lost. And and I've been talking to my Jewish friends across the country. This country might not be lost because the Jews in America are saying, we've had it. We have had it with this stuff. These fanatical killers, these depraved killers, we have got to we got to wake up politically. And the whole country is saying, we can't let 8 million people in, no matter if 7,999,000 of them are wonderful. There's a 1,000 terrorists among them. We can't let 8 million people walk into the country, and we can't let them go to California and get Medicaid, because we, we're broke. And so this is driving everything in America, is this disconnect, this unworldliness. Do you know that FoxNews.com is now the second largest news source in America? I think they're behind CNN.com still as a website. You know, I work for the Washington Post. I'm a columnist there, and and they've been losing money left over right. I'm going to be cutting back a lot on my columns this year for the Post because they're losing money left and right. But I'm going to stay as a contributing columnist there, try and keep them. But I'm not doing much good there because all it's just an in-gathering of out-of-touch left-wingers who don't know the news and and I want to play for you. Generalissimo found this. He put this in to make me mad. He found the main secretary of state who I wish would come on this show. I wish. Uh, you know, I live in Maine almost half the year now. I go there in summer. And uh, and I and I live in middle class Maine. Right. I, 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 I am not middle class, but I meet a lot of middle class normal people because I'm I'm not in Portland. And. The, uh, the, the main secretary of state is named Shanna Bellows. And she went on CNN with Wolf Blitzer last night to explain how Shanna Bellows, not a lawyer, but an activist with the ACLU for years. Not a lawyer, though. 
how she suddenly woke up to the fact that the 13th, the 14th Amendment, Article 3, allows her to unilaterally, unilaterally, no one advised her, take Donald Trump off the presidential ballot. I know Maine. I know, I know Angus. I know Susan Collins. I know Maine. They're, half of the state loved Donald Trump. Half of the state hates Donald Trump. But the half of the states that love Donald Trump for their secretary of state who isn't elected, she's appointed. She's a left wing. I mean, hardcore left wing Democrat disenfranchised half of the state. Give a listen to her. Cut number four. My duty under Maine election law and the Constitution and the oath I swore to the Constitution is was to look exclusively at the hearing and the evidence before me and make a decision based on the law. Neither political considerations nor personal considerations for my safety could uh, enter. I, political, this is a gambit for her to become famous and run for governor because Janet Mills is termed out. Just understand that's what's going on here. If she'll come on here and talk to me about the Constitution, she's not a lawyer. She has no idea. I've been teaching con law since 1996 at Chapman University Law School. I have never had occasion to teach Article 3, the insurrection, um, uh, or uh, uh, Section 3 of the 14th Amendment. I take Section 1, gutted by the Supreme Court in the 19th century. It was the, uh, uh, the Privileges or Immunities Clause. I have to teach equal protection and due process, which are self-executing. I have had to teach Section 5 on the congressional power to enact statutes that allow Congress to carry forward the provisions of of Section 1 and Section 2. But they did already enact uh, an insurrection law with which Donald Trump has not been charged, much less convicted. And there is no the idea that individuals, the Supreme Court is going to slap down Colorado so hard and they're going to slap down this main person so hard. And don't forget, when you wonder why Donald Trump gets reelected this year, you can thank Shenna Bellows and the Colorado Supreme Court and Jack Smith and and James Comey and James Clapper and John Brennan and all of the administrative state personnel who are indifferent to the half of the country that is unprotected and angry and who do not believe that you folks who are running things give a lick about them. They don't care about Harvard, but boy, are they mad at you. Thus endeth the monologue for today. News with Selena Zito coming up. Stay tuned. Welcome back, America. I'm Hugh Hewitt, one of my regular guests. For those of you joining us in news stations across the United States at the start of the new year, is Selena Zito, columnist for the New York Post, for the Washington Examiner, and for the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette. You can read everything Selena writes at selenazito.com. You can follow her on X at Zito Selena. She is the author, along with Brad Todd, of the best book about Trump in 2016 called The Great Revolt. Good morning, Selena. How are you? Good morning, sunshine. Happy New Year. Happy New Year to you. Throw away your notes. I need I need instant Selena Zito analysis. Claudine Gay is <laughs> Claudine Gay is the front page of the Wall Street Journal and the front page of every elite newspaper in America. The president of Harvard. She got fired or she resigned. She's going to make eight hundred thousand dollars on the faculty. She's going to now. She is admirable in many respects. She's the daughter of Haitian immigrants who came to the United States. She went to Phillips Andover Academy. She went to, I think, um, Princeton for one year, then to trans- Then she transferred to Stanford. She taught for a while at Stanford. Then she went to Harvard University. She became the president. Plagiarism is the problem. So is her tone deafness. Do you think anybody in normal America cares? Yes, actually, I do. And here's why. 
She uh, has achieved the American dream in so many different respects, right? And has become part of the elite culture. And then she was able to get away with things that an average person is not able to get away with. For many, many years, it, 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 is, it, it appears as though uh, the problem with her plagiarism was, was known for a while or at least investigated for a while, and people looked the other way. So why, why do you think a normal American cares? Well, not because specifically her, but because it's just another layer of elites being able to get away with something that an average person cannot. And, and, um, and no, nobody cares. Nobody blinks. So, right? Selena, and, I spent my first two segments talking about Peggy Noonan's brilliant piece in 2016. The single best book on 2016 was your book, The Great Revolt. The single best piece was Peggy Noonan's The Unprotected versus The Protected. And yesterday on the commentary podcast, John Podhoritz talked about the, quote, elemental force of Donald Trump. And the question is, what's driving it? And I think it's the unprotected are still there and they're mad as hell and they're not going to take it anymore. They are angry and you just put your finger on it. People who are protected like Claudine Gay get away with stuff. Moreover, Harvard's got $50 billion. They're picking winners and losers. And I, my, my guys in the studio just told me, I haven't read this. She's going to make $800,000 next year. When was the last time you heard of someone getting fired who got their job, their old job back? And I don't know if she's going to make it. I do not know that. But what do you, she's going to make a lot of money. What do you think about that? Well, that's exactly the, re, the, the problem people have with what happens with the people that live and work and operate and help each other in the super zip codes in this country. People fail up. If you went to a trade school, if you went to community college, and you had done something that goes against the code of conduct within that facility, you're out. And you don't get a second chance, at least not at that place. You got to go somewhere else and start over. And you can, but no one's there to hold you up among your community members. Because if you do that in, in regular America, right, just working class America, people are going to look at you and say, dude, why'd you do that? You, you got to start from the bottom again and work your way back up and earn it. Now, let me There's give no the zinger. Let me give the zinger. Selena taught for a year at the Harvard Institute of Politics. She was a Harvard Institute of Politics fellow after she wrote The Great Revolt. She took a bunch of those new Harvard kids, not Harvard kids of my era, which were a bunch of middle class kids who did well on tests. Let's be let's just face it. Uh, if you did well on tests, you got into Harvard in the 70s. Then that doesn't matter anymore. So you took a bunch of these guys to Youngstown Warren, guys and gals, and their eyes were open to real America, as I recall. Am I right about that? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Harvard first came to me and said, we want you to come and teach at Harvard. I'm like, Selena Zito at Harvard? I don't think so. Uh, That's just not, what am I going to teach them? What am I going to bring three-dimensionally to these young people so that they understand all of the country, not just the country that they're going to eventually operate? Because in theory, they're the best of the best of the best. 
And so I took these kids all over the country. We ended up, our last place was in the land, Warren, Trumbull, Mahoning counties. And, and they, they learned how to shoot a gun. Uh, they learned, they went and worked in, in an old steel mill in manufacturing. They went out with police officers and, and saw what happens with the fentanyl crisis. And they, and they, they went to church. They did all the things that, just regular people do it. From the day. land. Selena, and, by the way, for the audience's benefit, she's not from the land. She's a Yinzer. She's from across the border. She's a McCoy, and we are Hatfields in Northeastern Ohio, and she roots for the Stillers who are still alive. And I'm a Browns fan, but she's almost one of us. We just don't let her in much. But we gave her a pass, and she brought all the Harvard swells over to Youngstown to the Steel Valley. And I just, I wish I had a videotape of that. Now, Selena, I don't want to miss the key windup. I, I, I wanted people to hear your background. You wrote this book, The Great Revolt. John Podhoritz yesterday referred to the elemental force of Donald Trump. My belief, it's the unprotected of 2016. You identified him. You you wrote about him with Brad Todd. And I think they're mad as hell because 8 million people have walked into the country over the border in the last three years. Nobody is doing anything for them. The elites are protected and taking care of each other. And Donald Trump's being persecuted by Jack Smith, by the Maine Secretary of State, by the Colorado Supreme Court, and they're mad, mad, mad. I don't think Ron DeSantis and Nikki Haley can can tap into that mad, mad, mad. You wrote the book. What do you think? They're they're mad. Uh, yeah, they're also aspirational. Never forget about that aspect. They want to be part of something bigger than themselves, right? And they believe in the best of the best of this country. Those two forces together does not equal anything that the Democratic Party is offering them or has offered them in the past 10 years. And that is why they have shifted to this coalition. And and they're not going to sit back and and let this continue to happen. Now, I want to close. I want to close with this story. I don't know if you saw this. Selena, like me, is a Catholic. Massive attendance, enthusiasm at Fellowship of Catholic University Students Conference. Focus didn't exist when we were in college. It's a 19,000 Catholic kids have gone to St. Louis for a conference where they sit in their chairs and they listen to Catholic stuff and they go to confession and they meet with each other and they have fellowship and they go to mass. It's nowhere covered. Nowhere. Right. Uh, uh, So what do you what's that tell you? It's like they're a different America. Well, and they the problem with elites is they have long ago traded in um, things like climate change for religion. And I have been covering if people go and check out my work the past three years. I have been covering this this sort of um, awakening with young people. Um, in, in terms of faith and religiosity, and while att- while uh, denominational attendance is marked as down, these young people don't always consider themselves part of an institutional religion, but they consider themselves incredibly faithful, and they're not. And, and Latin Mass is also an aspect of that. Oh, well, that's where all the domestic that. terrorists go. You know that, Selena, don't you? The FBI. <laughs> The FBI Richmond office says that's our, but not the 8 million people crossing the border. Forget about them. It's the traditionalist rad trad Catholic. I'm not a rad trad, but, but I think it's funny. I just think it, it's so amusing. It is. <laughs> it is. It, it, you just like, 
Yeah, yeah. I, I, I got to run, but I want to say that um, there goes my earpiece. I can't, you can't even hear me now. I can't hear you. I hope your father had a wonderful birthday. Did he have a wonderful birthday? He did. I surprised him with the trains, bringing his train set back to life. And oh. Of course, there were tears, and it was wonderful, and it was a really great 87th birthday. And and did he keep an eye on the fact that the Stillers are alive? I mean, they, they've got a heartbeat. they got a pulse. Yeah, he did. He he is grudgingly going back to the Steelers. I haven't watched them since 2016. I know, but I want you to know the Browns are America's team. How about Miracle Joe Flacco? You got to love that story. I, He's older as we are. It's awesome. <laughs> it's awesome. <laughs> Selena Zito, follow her at selenazito.com. Follow, get all of her columns if you sign up at selenazito.com. Follow her on X, the site formerly known as Twitter. Welcome back, America. Mary Catherine Ham joins me. MK Hammer on X. She's one of the co-hosts of Getting Hammered Pod. Happy New Year, MK Hammer. How are you? I'm good. I'm finally not sick, and I made it to 2024. Here we are. Bravo. Uh, Mary Catherine, I want to start by getting your uncensored reaction to a fact I just learned. Claudine Gay, ex-president of Harvard, will make as a salary next year for returning to the position of professor of African-American studies, $900,000. What do you think? (laughs) I think of of freaking course. This is what happens once you've sort of gotten your way to the top of the uh, of the intersectional pyramid is that even if you end up being fired for cause, uh, you will be given whatever it is you need to be given. This is like, this is an elite's club, right? And once you're up there, they're not going to really get rid of you, particularly if you're in what is considered by the left a protected class. And therefore, you can't be sort of bumped down to even just a regular professor position. No, no, no. You have to be bumped down with a million bucks. Congratulations, everyone. Now, the Associated Press ran a headline three hours ago. Harvard president's resignation highlights new conservative weapon against colleges, plagiarism. Charles C.W. Cook is really one of the bright lights of the right. Put a comment on there four minutes ago. They can't stop doing this because this is why they exist now. Talking about the AP. Mary Catherine, here's my bigger question, the more serious one. I don't, do you listen to the commentary podcast with John Podhortz and the gang? I do. I do. Yesterday, J-Pod referred to the elemental force of Donald Trump. And my first hour today has been arguing, if you go back to Peggy Noonan's protected versus unprotected column of 2016, and you take all the unprotected people, and you have them watch 8 million people cross our southern border, and then they watch the persecution of Donald Trump by Jack Smith and the Colorado Supreme Court and the Maine Secretary of State, then you watch Claudine Gay not be able to call out anti-Semitism and then get 900 grand for plagiarism. And I think the unprotected are now mad as hell and they're not going to take it anymore. And that explains Donald Trump. What say Mary Catherine Ham? I I basically agree with that thesis. And frankly, uh, the COVID years made it worse. You left that part out of the equation, right? Because you had an entire elite class who decided, no, 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 you follow rules and you destroy your life to protect you from this virus that isn't going to hurt that many of you as you're, as long as you're young and healthy, but nonetheless, you're going to stay out of school. You're going to not work. You're going to lose your 
businesses. Uh, but we, oh, and you can't protest. Don't do that either. But we can protest when we want to. And we want, when we want to do all the things we want to do, we can do those things. Uh, it was fraudulent. It was obviously weighted so that the elites were allowed to do what they wanted to do. And the left and the protected classes could do what they wanted to do. And everyone else couldn't. And that created such immense societal distrust. And I'm actually, I think that as a result, uh, Donald Trump is, ends up being the answer to that, even though I don't think he was as good on COVID as some of the other leaders in the Republican Party. But he is sort of the middle finger, if you will, uh, as he has been for many years now. You know, and I today, just this morning, I, I did a podcast for later in the, in the day for the universe. And I listened to a lot of Nikki Haley and a lot of Ron DeSantis. They're running a 2012 Republican campaign. They're not tapping yes. into this. They're not talking to the people who are mad as hell and not going to take it anymore because the country's off the rails. They're not talking about the eight million or if they are, they're not doing it the way Trump does it, which is, as you say, the middle finger approach, which gets a lot of attention. I don't think he can be stopped, Mary Catherine. What do you think? I'm not sure he can. Look, there there are signs of some momentum, especially for Nikki Haley in New Hampshire, right? Uh, but how does that play out after that? I don't know how it plays out super well in South Carolina, unless there's some surprise. There could be a miracle in Iowa for DeSantis, right? The re- retail politics matters there, and he's been on the ground doing it. Uh, I do think, to me, there's an opportunity to make this argument against Donald Trump on COVID and say, like, he was one of the elites. He was playing along with these guys in a lot of respects, and he left you out in the cold. Ron DeSantis does that to some extent. I do think that a lot of people were so scarred by uh, the COVID years that they kind of just want to move on from that. They don't really want to litigate it, which I think is a problem because I think it leaves us open to it happening again. But the fact remains that it's not connecting in the way that I would hope it would. And they can't go to the border and the 8 million people because Trump owns the wall. He didn't get it done, but he will get it done this time. Well, I I am in Switzerland. See, that's the argument, though. I I do think that's the opening is to say he didn't get it done. Like he didn't take he didn't beat the deep state. He didn't do the wall. Here's how I led in the ways that I led. He's not capable of doing it. Let me let me do it instead. That's the argument. But it needs to be done forcefully. And frankly, probably should have started earlier, more forcefully. I I saw Nikki Haley connect on an individual level in New Hampshire. I've heard Ron DeSantis connect on this show, but it's emotional. It's it's a very emotional year. I just want to conclude. Do you agree with that? People are voting emotionally, not issues driven. I mean, I think they usually do, right? I think in 2016, I learned, at, which I should have learned earlier, like, I'm an ideological person. That doesn't mean that all the voters are ideological per- people. I knew that in my head, but I wasn't following it. I wasn't actually applying it. And people have to apply that to the voters because they're not all ideological. You're also a Kennedy Institute, uh, uh, Harvard Kennedy Institute politics, right? Right. You went there. Did you make nine hundred thousand when you were there? I don't recall that I did. OK, just checking. I just want to know if it was really the, just the, the salary scale at Harvard. Mary Catherine Ham, follow her on X at MKM. You hear it live on this Wednesday. Jim Garrity is with National Review and is also a columnist at The Washington Post. Good morning, Jim, and Happy New Year. Are, are you muted, Jim? You're muted. That's a very unfortunate beginning of the new year. Is it Garrity or is it us? We'll try again. Morning, Glory America. Bonjour. Hi, Canada. I'm Hugh Hewitt. I'm joined by Jim Garrity, editor at the National Review and contributing columnist to the Washington Post. Are you on now, Jim? I am. 
just there's certain mornings I just ignore you. There are certain mornings I just don't want to deal with you. And does it have to do with the fact that you found some fountain of youth and gave it to Joe Flacco? I'm not going to confirm or deny that. Um, His name is not Joe Flacco. His name is Miracle Joe Flacco. And Miracle Joe Flacco is a miracle. Sheriff Joe. That's what they call him these days. Middle class Joe. Um, Let me just also uh, say, Hugh, that... um, uh, I, I cited you yesterday in the corner. Uh, I saw if, that. If the Supreme Court does not go 9 0 on knocking down Colorado and Maine, um, well, let's just, let's just say I have, I have vouched for you as a preeminent expert on how this is going to shake out. So, it, it should be 9 0. Uh, uh, I noted that you noted my concern about Sotomayor, and I'll be stunned if Kagan goes along with this. Chris Coons actually stood up for the proposition that it's self-executing and evidently true. Jim, did it occur to no one that nobody in the country had even commented on this theory until two law professors you've never, ever heard of wrote an article out of nowhere? It just didn't occur to anyone for four years to come up with this. Doesn't that strike you as uh, three years? Doesn't that strike you as odd? Yeah. I had a remarkable number of people say, Jim, it is by the way, I, I'm certainly open to the argument that uh, what Donald Trump did meets the legal uh, definition of leading an insurrection. I just like to see it tried in a court of law. I think if you're going to say because he committed this crime, you'd better have a conviction. And at this point, not only do we not have a conviction, we don't have a, uh, an indictment on this on this particular charge. And got after the amendment passed, the Congress passed a law on insurrection. In order to enforce yeah. that, under which Trump is, it, it's just so stupid. I want to get to something bigger. I had, uh, I had a billion people saying, uh, you know, it's uh, it's self-evident, it's obvious, how can you possibly deny this? And my thinking is, you know, you had to convict OJ, too, right? Yeah. We all think you killed Nicole Brown Simpson and Ron Goldman, but if the jury doesn't come back and says otherwise, then no, he didn't do it, you know, at least in the eyes of the law. And yeah, he, He's know, still guilty, but he hasn't been convicted. And I don't think Trump is guilty of insurrection. I don't even think it's close. But, Jim, I want to ask you about something more important. Yesterday, and here's where we're going to pick you up the part for the podcast. I listened to the commentary podcast yesterday, and John Podhoritz, in passing, referred to the, quote, elemental force, close quote, of Donald Trump. And whether or not Nikki Haley or Rhonda or anyone could stop the elemental force of Donald Trump. I'm neither here to praise nor or bury Donald Trump. I'm in Switzerland. I'm here to talk about the elemental force, and I want your opinion on it. I think a lot of it has to do with what Peggy Noonan in 2016 called the unprotected. People who have no margin in their life who are working very hard and trying to stay ahead of every dollar. And it's gotten very expensive. If their refrigerator breaks, they don't have a refrigerator. If their car breaks, they don't have a car. They don't know what they're going to do about their credit card debt. They're just screwed. And this country has not helped them out very much. And Claudine Gay. And I read this morning, and I was told by my team, that not only has she been uh, dumped by Harvard, but she's been kept by Harvard, and she's going to make $900,000 next year from Harvard. That's her salary. Mm -hmm. What do you think that does to the elemental force of the Donald Trump movement? Oh, it's it's gasoline on the fire. Um, And and I just kind of contemplate almost any other institution, although even though you could say, you know, whether you want to call it the woke mind virus or political correctness or whatever, however you want to characterize this philosophy. I want you to imagine a chief executive officer you know, of a corporation going out and holding a press conference. Somebody says, 
hey, is calling for genocide of the Jews against your corporate policy? Is it against your your company's values? Uh, do you think that would be bullying? And I want you to picture the CEO going, hmm. Well, I think it kind of depends on the context. You know, I can imagine contexts in which calling for the genocide of the Jews is not bullying, is not right. Like, like that. The the, C, the board of directors would tell that CEO to pack his, clean out his desk by like fifteen minutes, right? That you know, that in almost any other environment, that's like completely unacceptable. And then she issued a statement saying, basically blaming Stefanik and basically saying, well, I got into a heated exchange and I forgot my values and I didn't express blah blah blah. She might have been able to survive that. In fact, right around the uh, holidays, I remember having conversations with people who said that if you are angry at the mentality that has taken root at universities and so many other corners of American life, that Claudine Gay resigns, you put somebody else in there who has the same attitudes but who hides it better or who, you know, uh, is more, you know, expresses it in a way that does not uh, set people's hair on fire then you harbor that nothing really gets any better that in fact for the right it was better if claudine gay stayed there as this glaring example that plagiarism doesn't really matter if you're one of the protected people quasi defending calls for genocide doesn't matter as long as you're one of the special people that the rules don't once you achieve a certain level in american society there really is freedom of speech you could say anything you want and even really unacceptable things We'll get only sotto voce, you know, muted criticism. Of, mm, she shouldn't put it that way. Uh, you know, so, there'd be no rebuke the same way there'd be in other courts of other parts of American life. I added to that factor, that gasoline, the gasoline that are eight million illegal entries in the United States in the last three years. Eight million. I added to that or Mike Gallagher added that fentanyl death. I added to that the Colorado Supreme Court and the main secretary of state disenfranchising Colorado's conservative vote, just throw, saying you're out of the game. You don't get your candidate. And then I added on top of it, Wisconsin's gerrymandering of the gerrymandering, their Supreme court. And I, and then I added Hunter Biden's story getting killed by the post. It just, I think those people who are angry in 2016 are white, hot, angry right now. And there's nothing Nikki Haley and Ron DeSantis can do about it. Nothing. What do you think? Uh, largely correct. I think uh, the thing is that we, we six months ago, when some of these things hadn't happened, uh, like the Claudine Gay part or, or uh, the Colorado and Maine decision, Trump was still way ahead, meaning that I think roughly half the Republican Party never contemplated DeSantis or Haley or Tim Scott or Mike Pence or anybody else, that they, they had voted for Trump twice and they were happy to vote for Trump as many times as he is on the ballot in as many cycles for, you know, to, to come. Um, and that if you wanted to, if your name was not Donald Trump and you wanted to be the Republican nominee, you needed to unify everybody else, which is very different. You know, uh, the old Ted Cruz voters are not the same as the old John Kasich voters. And you needed to unify all of those folks. Now, I, a couple of weeks ago, I pitched the idea of like, hey, what would happen if they put together a unity ticket? What would happen if you had DeSantis, Haley, Haley, DeSantis, or something like that? Man, DeSantis people are convinced that Haley is is Lilith, and the Haley voters are convinced that DeSantis is Beelzebub. They are utterly unwilling to unify, and I don't think they realize, like, beggars can't be choosers. You're at, like, 20% in certain places. Like, you you got to unify that other half of the Republican Party to have, even have a shot, to even have in the conversation. And nobody wants to do that. In fact, the DeSantis people and the, the Haley people want to bash each other over the head 
when they're at like, you know, 15, 20, 20 some percent and Trump's at 50. And this is both in the early states and in nationwide. So like, you know, it, it's a rerun of 2016. I am fond of quoting True Detective. Everything that's happened before is going to happen again. Time is a flat circle. We are destined to make the same thing over and over again. And I, I am fascinated at how resistant non-Trump Republicans are to the idea that you might have to get behind somebody who's not your first choice. And you might even be able to have fond up if you want a non-Trump op- uh, nominee. And, uh, I'm, I'm, uh, Gary, can you stick around for a second segment? Sure. sure. All right. I want, I want to ask you about the 2016 with gasoline. It, it's supercharged right. and whether or not it will succeed come the fall. Don't go anywhere, America. Garrity, the indispensable, has gotten over the fact that the Cleveland Browns trounced his Jets. I mean, they didn't just beat him. They crushed him. They didn't just crush him. They embarrassed him. They didn't just embarrass them. They sent them home with Joe Flacco, who's older than I am, throwing for 300 yards in the first half, basically, 296 in the first half. They didn't even play in the second half, but I didn't want to bring it up because I'm a gentleman. Uh, I won't even bring it up in the next segment, Jim, I promise. Don't go anywhere, America. I'm you to it. Welcome back, America. I'm Hugh Hewitt. Jim Garrity is my guest of National Review and Washington Post. Jim, I want to go back to Donald Trump's, the elemental force aspect of it. I think if he is the nominee, and he's likely to be, if he picks a vice president from the next generation, a Tom Cotton, a Mike Gallagher, and a Lee Stefanik, Anyone who represents a return to the Republican Party of 2012, but a different generation, he will win in a walk because a lot of people just want to get back to norm. But the unprotected want to have another shout fest and they want another four years of what um, uh, Selena Zito called the middle finger to the elites of America. What do you think of my theory? Uh, there's a decent amount. I, I find it plausible. Uh, right now, if you're Donald Trump, you're looking at both state swing state polling and national polling, and you're feeling pretty darn good. The, the country is exhausted with Joe Biden. They find him to be uh, an exhausting and exhausted president. Um, the Democrats have walked knowingly and willingly into the most obvious problem anybody could have you know, most foreseeable political problem anybody could see because all you needed was a calendar even if joe biden were a phenomenal orator even if joe biden were a phenomenally talented politician very few of us at age 81 which i believe is just a few years younger than joe flacco um very few of us at 81 are at the very top of our game and other than joe flacco and uh and, and so like people could tell like biden you know, in 2020, it was clear, you know, the basement campaign that he couldn't go out and hold rallies. He couldn't go out and be, be exposed to people. 2022 midterms come around and he doesn't do any of those things. Part of this is that he's got a really lousy approval rating. Uh, but also like the, the, the other two giant weights on Biden are one are the border. Again, these are all deliberate policies. These are the first day in office. He undoes slews of this whole slew of Trump administration uh, border control initiatives effectively saying these are xenophobic, these are not who we are, these are not American, blah, blah, blah. Uh, and then the second thing he did, the other big thing he did almost immediately upon taking office, the, com- the economy was already starting to recover from the COVID pandemic. And then he and a Democratic Congress spent trillions more. Well, you throw a whole bunch of money into an economy with not an equivalent increase in goods and services, you end up with inflation, right? There's a great DuckTales episode that explained all that. People can get this. And they know that you, you like, wait a minute, we, we have terrible inflation 
and the border is not secured. We've got migrants. And the moment migrants started showing up in deep blue uh, cities, all, you know, my, uh, not too far from my old hometown, apparently the mayor of Edison, New Jersey, yesterday said, no, you can't be here. And they just turned around the buses. Right. Wait a minute. This was xenophobia a year ago. This was, you know, utterly unacceptable racism. This was hatred of poor, innocent people who just want to live the American dream 20 minutes ago. But now that it's a Democrat mayor saying, no, we don't have any room. Now they sound like Lou Dobbs. Right? Well, let me uh, add to this. You mentioned Joe Flacco. Um, Americans watch a lot of sports. And we get upset when something unfair happens. During the break, I was talking with Dwayne about the Detroit Lions game and whether or not the trick that the Lions attempted was fair or not. But most Americans in the NFL have concluded the referees were unfair to the Lions. And people get mad when they see unfairness. A lot of the Trump energy, the elemental force, is people say it's not fair. Hunter Biden getting covered by the New York Post, that wasn't fair. Uh, the Jack Smith prosecutions aren't fair because the papers that Joe Biden had in the garage are the same thing and he's not prosecuted. Not fair that 8 million people are walking into the country and getting Medicaid in California. It's not fair that what you just, there's this element. Americans get fairness. Making America great again might actually be making America fair again. And Claudine Gay getting $900,000 is not fair. Um, one of the ironies of the past eight years or so is that Elizabeth Warren ran around saying the game is rigged. And that wasn't all that different from Donald Trump's uh, rhetoric. There are a lot of places in which he would argue that the game is rigged. You know, and um, are we supposed to get some new revelations in the uh, about Jeffrey Epstein in the next couple of days, Hugh? Yeah, I don't follow the case very much, because, but I, I gathered some list of content. But what we know is that a whole bunch of powerful people hung out with Jeffrey Epstein. And, and he's a scumbag really of scumbaggy in proportions. Yes. Yeah. And you know, apparently, the, like, we know that uh, Clinton was on, apparently, you know, Trump was on a flight or two to, also. But we have this thing where, like, we know that once you reach a certain level of wealth, status, power in American life, you can exempt yourselves from a whole bunch of consequences of your actions. Hunter Biden is a vivid, terrifying example of this. Anybody else in life, you know, like the addiction, hey, Americans sympathize with addiction. A lot of us know people who struggle with addiction. What's kind of fascinating about Hunter Biden is that we don't know people who've had the who lie on their gun forms. We don't know people who forget to pay taxes on a couple million dollars worth of income. We don't get know a lot of people who, according to this latest indictment, tried to deduct the cost of prostitutes as a business expense. This is an allegation, but you you kind of almost want to admire the, the the brassness of of that one of like, well, Consuela was uh, was actually a business consultant and, and all that kind of stuff. Um, so you you just look at all that and you're like, look, rich, powerful people they've always had advantages. Like it was only they get to live in a nice big fancy house and, and the rest of us don't. But this kind of this attitude of like, oh, they really don't have to obey the law either. They can always afford a fancy lawyer. They can always escape the consequences of their actions. And you can only rub Americans' nose in it too much before it comes out in some angry outburst or they showed up, they expressed it the ballot box. I think it's happening again. And I think the unfairness of the last four years is really driving it. The last three years of Biden. Jim Garrity, follow him on exit. Jim Garrity, Congressman Mike Gallagher. There is hope in Wisconsin. The Packers are alive. There's a pulse. I sent Mike Gallagher a little text on Sunday saying, you know, it's nice not to have to worry about the playoffs when you're a Browns fan. You got Miracle Joe Flacco, but you're alive. So congratulations. 
Hey, winning in. All anyone can hope for, Hugh, whether you are a football fan, a football player, or merely a human on this earth for a brief period of time, is to be in control of your own destiny. And indeed, the Packers are in control of their own destiny. Youngest team in the NFL, somehow putting it together. Jordan Love looks incredibly legit. So I don't know, Hugh. Listen, all respect to the Browns. All respect to Flacco. You're dealing, yes, you have certainty when it comes to the playoffs, but you have this existential uncertainty that is born of decades and decades of of infamy with the Browns franchise. So I don't know. I I wouldn't trade my position for yours, Hugh. Respect. It's, 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 it's the new Browns. It's the third trip to the playoffs since 1999. Uh, but I still haven't been able to go to a home playoff game. So this is the year. Uh, Chairman, I want to get to a couple of things. Um but I want to talk to you mostly about Donald Trump. You're in Switzerland like I am. You're running the uh, Select Committee on Engagement with the Chinese Communist Party, and that requires you to be very, very careful about this. First question, 8 million, Amer- 8 million people have walked across our southern border in the last three years. 8 million. Do you believe any of them are agents of the Chinese Communist Party? Uh, well, first let me caveat this by saying I, I have no insider info here, no intelligence one way or the other, but... Let me put it this way. I think this is a massive, massive threat to U.S. national security. And it would surprise me if our foremost adversary, i.e. the Chinese Communist Party, weren't seeking ways to exploit this gaping hole in our defense of the homeland. And even if you don't believe that any of these people crossing the southern border are agents of the Chinese Communist Party, what we know beyond a shadow of a doubt, is that every single day, if not every single minute of every single day, fentanyl crosses the southern border, killing tens of thousands of Americans. And of course, the precursors for fentanyl are produced in China. Biden bent over backwards to meet with Xi Jinping in San Francisco at the APEC summit. And all of what came out of that meeting was some vague promise to cooperate on fentanyl to crack down on precursor production. But as yet, I've seen no evidence that the CCP is serious about cracking down on fentanyl precursor production, and it's killing tens of thousands of Americans. So these two things, the complete lack of security at our southern border and the desire of the Chinese Communist Party to help us destroy ourselves, to destroy American global leadership, are intimately connected. And if we do not secure the southern border, I cannot look you or anyone else in the eye and say that we are doing our duty when it comes to protecting the homeland or advancing our national security interests. And so that issue alone shows you why Joe Biden can't have four more years in office. The border is an unmitigated disaster, and I'm confident that our enemies are taking advantage of that fact. I know I want to add into this a second layer of issue. I spent the first hour of the show talking with Mary Catherine Ham, Selena Zito and reading the news. I have not been covering Claudine Gay at Harvard because I don't think 99% of the country cares about it. All right. I care about it. I'm a Harvard alum. Mike Gallagher is a graduate of Princeton and Georgetown University. He's also a United States Marine. And like me, he's from the upper Midwest. He's a Wisconsinite. We generally don't think of ourselves as elite. How big was your hometown? Are you actually from Green Bay, Mike? Born in Green Bay, Wisconsin. Yes. Okay. So you are not elite. (laughs) You are not an elite. Football wise. We are the most elite. Okay, yeah. no one has more championships than the. But Green I'm going to guess. We, I'm going to guess you got into Princeton, 
Am I gonna? Am I right that you're not a legacy at Princeton? You got in because you had pretty good test scores. I did, yeah. My dad went to. My dad was uh, very smart academically. He went to Notre Dame, as did my sister, and that was sort of the expectation. But I was the first in my family to go to an Ivy League school. All right, so Claudine Gay, I haven't covered it until this morning because John Podhoritz on commentary was talking about the elemental force behind Donald Trump. Now I'm asking you to objectively analyze what is powering the president, and I my view is Peggy Noonan's unprotected people from 2016 are now mad as hell at elites in the United States, one of whom is Claudine Gay, who could not denounce a pogrom as genocide and is getting a retirement or, or a move-on package of $900,000 a year from Harvard to teach in the African-American Education Studies program at Harvard going forward. What do you think the average American in Green Bay thinks about this, Mike Gallagher? Well, it's absurd. I think your average American in Green Bay, Wisconsin, is waking up to the fact that our elite universities, the best of the best, uh, have constructed a system in which you pay them massive sums of money to propagandize your own children against you and the United States of America. And you send them out into the world completely unprepared for how arduous it is, completely without the resilience one needs to survive. And I think your average American in Green Bay, Wisconsin, is waking up to all of the waste in terms of federal tax incentives, uh, tax-exempt university endowments. And finally, I would say your average American in Green Bay, Wisconsin, thinks it's absurd that universities in America should be allowed to use those endowments, which aren't taxed, and invest that money into communist China, as well as accept massive gifts from communist China and not comply with Section 117 of the Higher Education Act, whereby they're supposed to disclose donations in excess of $250,000. But, of course, they don't. And the Trump administration discovers something like $6 billion in unreported donations. So, yeah, I do think that Trump supporters are angry at elites. I think maybe more broadly, they just see a broken system. And just analyze things we've seen sort of in the later stage of the Trump presidency and during the Biden uh, presidency, what was the one thing that upended all of our lives over COVID. the last four years? COVID. It was, of course, the pandemic, right? There's been no accountability for, for that. And I, both the origins of COVID in terms of the communist Chinese cover-up of COVID, as well as the manifest failure of our public health system at the local, state, and, of course, federal Fauci level. I think that did more to undermine American trust in institutions, including public health institutions, the scientists we were told to trust without reservation than almost anything else. What other incidents have been a massive wake up call for the American people? Well, there was a Chinese spy balloon that lazily drifted over America, including our most sensitive uh, nuclear facilities. And the most recent reporting from Reuters and others suggest that the Biden administration not only sought to downplay it, but, but actively lied about it so as not to jeopardize Secretary Blinken's trip to China. And he sent his underlings out to China on the anniversary of the Tiananmen Square massacre, and they downplayed the State Department. And I would add, I want to make sure you get your comment on this. The American Secretary of State has a spokesperson who yesterday was sort of condemning Israel for taking out three Hamas terrorists in Lebanon who had massacred 1,200. And I think most Americans said, what? Why aren't we having a party? Uh, but more importantly, three things happened in the last three weeks. The Colorado Supreme Court took Donald Trump off the ballot. 
The main secretary of state took Donald Trump off the ballot and the Wisconsin Supreme Court in a naked exercise of political power took back the right to draw the districts in Wisconsin. You're you're impacted by this, so you might have a very strong opinion. It looks like a rigged game, Michael Gallagher, Congressman, Mr. Chairman. It looks like everything is rigged. You, you can just call me owner. I'm an owner of an NFL team, Hugh. So that's okay, the appropriate that's right. title but we're talking about. The team. It does look like a rigged game to you. You know, actually, I thought uh, uh, Attorney General Bill Barr's piece in the free press was quite persuasive on this issue. And again, he's talking from the perspective of someone who's no longer a Trump supporter. But he talks about how foolish this is legally, constitutionally, practically, politically. And we're sort of trapped in the cycle, Hugh, where if one side decides to go outside the rules of the game and do something this nakedly political, the other side feels like they have license to do the same. And so we escalate and all of a sudden, all, all of our norms, all of our unwritten rules evaporate. And that's really what worries me about this election cycle in 2024. The Democrats will stop at nothing to seize power, to maintain power. And so Republicans have to find a way just to, to beat them fairly and squarely without resorting to those same tactics. Because otherwise, we could go down a very dark and dangerous path pretty quickly, Hugh. Yeah, it's late Roman Republic stuff. And the answer is, is type into Google the name of your county. My case, it would be Trumbull County and the Republican Party and get involved and actually work within the system to elect people like Mike Gallagher. Uh, Chairman, less than 30 seconds. Is your district going to be affected by this? Uh, it might be, but it would be very minimally. My district's interesting, Hugh. We went from a lean Republican district when I got elected, heavily Republican now. It might come back to the point. But it wouldn't be wouldn't be that much. All right, good to know that because when the Packers are beaten by the Browns in the Super Bowl, I don't want you to be anywhere but right here. Sharon Mike Gallagher, always good. I want to talk about my PhD weightloss.com because it's the new year and it's already the what is it, the third day of the new year? Yes. And many people have gone off their diets. Shame they had on no them. help. Shame on them. Not shame. Let's help them. Yes. My PhD weightloss.com. Right. What did it do for you? It, got my, it basically gained a lot of my, my functionality back. I was able to go on a lot more bike rides, longer bike rides. I was well, you able went to get on an electric bike. It's not a bike ride. Um, whatever you say, that doesn't make it true. It's like being a Cleveland Browns fan, but that's We're right. in the playoffs. Okay, you'll, you'll be on the couch in a week like everybody else. It's two weeks. They don't play. Don't, the next week is a sort of a bye. We're playing the Bengals. MyPhDWeightLoss.com. You lost 50 pounds in three months. You've kept it off for a year. A little over a year, yeah. 864-644-1900. That's 864-644-1900. Now I want to talk about the biggest obstacle to someone calling 864-644-1900. They think that because they screwed up January 1, 2, and 3, they can't start. You started like in a random day in September, didn't you? Or no, August? I, I started like in the middle of August. Yeah. So you, you don't need to start on January 1. You need to start, right? That's what you need to do. You need to, start. you need to start when you make the decision in your head, it's time. It's time to finally get control of this. That's, that's, when, that's when it happens is when you finally turn that key in your head that I, I don't need to live this way anymore. I don't need to carry this much weight. It's time to finally do something about it and just commit to it. Eight six four. It'll work. Six four four. Nineteen hundred. You had a little breaking news an hour ago in Iran at the cemetery where Qasim Soleimani is buried. A bomb went off. Seventy three are dead and one hundred and seventy one are injured at the Soleimani tomb 
in Iran. I'll post it up on the next segment if I get more information on that. I'm joined now by United States Senator John Kennedy of Louisiana. Good morning, Senator Kennedy. It's good to see you. Happy New Year. Thank you, Hugh. Hope you hope you're well, mate. I am. I hope you are too. I want to. I don't. I don't like to surprise people. I am of the opinion that if the United States Senate brings forward a so-called compromise on the border that does not have a very tall wall over 800 miles and an expanded border patrol, it's dead on arrival in the House, and it will be the fourth time in my 23 years on the air that I've reported on a Republican compromise that cratered. What do you think? Well, you could be right. I mean, so far, I don't know. Um I'm like everybody else in the Senate, except about three or four people. I, I don't know what's going on. Uh, I'm pretty disgusted. So far, it's the whole process in the Senate has been a multiple vehicle pile up. Um, I've asked, I don't know, four or five times, what what are the negotiators negotiating? What have they agreed on? Uh, what do they still disagree on? Every time I'm told, that they can't tell me uh, if they did, they'd have to kill me. Um, I mean, I'm, I'm not the the two gentlemen who are negotiating the deal are both fine people and all of that. But Senator Murphy who's negotiating for the Democrats. Uh, I can't imagine uh, Senator Murphy ever agreeing to something that would secure the border. He's entitled to his opinion, but my experience with him is that he, he he's happy with the way things are. You know, Senator, uh, and the House I want to give you a little been, background. I, I love Senator Lankford, sure. and I know Senator Tillis, and they're both good and smart guys. I would trust them normally. But I knew John Cornyn very well when he started this. I knew John Kyle extremely well when he started this. I knew Marco Rubio well when they started this. I had the same warning. You have no idea what the base thinks about this until we see it and read it. And I'm I'm a wet. I'm an easy compromise guy. Let everybody stay who's not a criminal, but secure the border. And I'm not going to support it. And it will be dead on arrival. And they, you know, the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over again and expecting a different result. If you negotiate something in secret and it doesn't have the wall in it, it's done. Well, Hugh, I, I can't. I can't disagree with your point of view. I, I'm just, I, I'm, I'm dealing here from, from, I, I guess you could say ignorance in the sense that, uh, I have no idea what they're talking about. I, I mean, and I don't think any other senator with the possible exception of, of, uh, Mitch McConnell and Chuck Schumer really know what's going on. Um, I don't know that Mike Johnson in the House or any of my House colleagues know. We've been doing this for two months, and every time I've asked, I've asked at least five times, can you tell me the details? And every time I'm told we cannot tell you, if we told you we'd have to kill you, it's and put you on double secret probation. It's top secret. Do you and agree thinking, with my okay, premise? You got though. one vote. I, I got one vote. Do you agree with my premise? I, I think that, that you cannot well, surprise. You, you can't surprise the Republican base. You have to put it out there and let us chew on it. We support the Senate majority. I support Leader McConnell. I want you guys to get to 51, but you can't surprise me or the people that listen to this show with something that doesn't look like it will be effective in stopping 8 million people coming across the border in three years. No, I agree with that. But, but so far, we don't have anything to surprise you with. And once... 
once they reach an agreement, if they reach an agreement, um, there'll be plenty of time. I can assure you all of the senators who have been excluded, which is most of us, are, are going to go over this thing very, very carefully so people will have plenty of time to see what's in it. But, but Hugh, we're not there yet. I mean, so far, the whole thing has been a goat rodeo. Well, and it is a goat rodeo. I don't rodeo. believe that the White House... You know, the, um, did you ever go to Disneyland Center? I've been one time. That's all I could afford. Did you go on the, jun- <laughs> did you go on the Jungle Cruise? I, I think my son did, and he went through all six of the gift shops that you okay. have to go through when you get off. Well, the, the Jungle Cruise does not change. It's the same thing. It's like Pirates of the Caribbean. The rides do not change. We're on the same ride. Yeah. And I, I, I just know at the end you're going to get all the stuffed toys. You're going to go through the gift shops, and you're going to say, that was the same ride I did the last. This is the same ride. Well, you may end up being right again. I, I can't answer you, you, because I might, I might right now, I might as well be one of the guys living under the interstate as much as I know. I know as much as they know. Okay. And, and, uh, we're coming back on Monday and I don't know any of my colleagues except probably James and Chris and Mitch and Chuck who know what the hell's going on. I don't think the house knows what's going on. Well, I mean, Senator, I, look, when I- we start, are we going to keep the government open in three weeks? Do you know if that's going to go on? Well, I want to keep it open. I, I don't think there's anything to be gained by shutting down government. Good. Now, how we're going to keep it open, I, we're not going to pass a budget bill between now and the drop dead date. I can tell you that. That's not going to happen in your or my natural lifetime. So we better start thinking about either a CR or something. But Are again, we going to? Are we I'm going to driving, send a message I'm not from driving this. Are we going to send a message from the Senate to the okay. president that he has to start protecting American troops on ships in the Middle East and they can't allow us to be targets for the Houthis to keep trying to to kill American sailors? I mean, this upsets me quite a lot. And I'm wondering, do you expect the United States Senate to give some guidance to the president about protecting our troops? Well, so far, of course we have. Are they listening? No. So far, this administration has acted like a hopeless knave in terms of, of understanding that weakness invites the wolves. Uh, Iran is shooting missiles at the ships, and uh, the Biden administration is quoting Socrates to them. I mean, that, that's just not the way the world works. No, it's not. My last question for you, Senator, has to do with Claudine Gay. And your staff asked if I was going to bring anything up except immigration. And I said no, but we don't, we both don't know what's going on. So I'm going to leave it at that. I learned this morning that the president of Harvard, I'm a Harvard grad. All right. So I, you're a UVA grad, as I recall. And I'm, we know I'm, what, I'm, I'm sorry, you. <laughs> we, we, we both know what plagiarism is, right? We both know what plagiarism yeah. is. And so she has resigned because I don't know if she did it, but it sure looks like it because she resigned. She's going to get paid $900,000 next year by Harvard. What does the average American think about that, in your opinion, in Louisiana, Senator Kennedy? I think that the average American, the average Louisianian, looks at the situation at Harvard, and they are, uh, it triggers their gag reflex. Uh, here you had this extraordinary research university that over the last 25 or 30 years 
has been uh, diminished, undermined, gutted. Now it, it is a, uh, it's a farce. And if I were a member of the Harvard faculty or an alumnus and I cared about my university, I, I, I wouldn't give them a dime until they started to become a, a university again instead of a, a, a woke factory. They have a $50 billion endowment, which is not taxed. There are some members of your body that want to tax endowments of universities. Are you among them? Yeah, I look carefully at the bill. I mean, I'm not saying, yes, I'll vote for you because I haven't read the bill yet. And I don't think Senator Schumer will bring it to the floor, frankly. But uh, we've got to do something to get their attention, to get these universities to go back to being universities instead of – just factories that that espouse, um, I hate America. Um, well, you know, I, I graduated I in 78, and we had a very diverse group of people, and I had professors from both sides of the aisle, and people from all over the country, and middle-class kids with good scores could go there, and they weren't legacy admits. I don't know what happened to that place. Senator Kennedy, let me cl- conclude by talking about 2024. Donald Trump has got extraordinary momentum, and I think it's built on the people who voted for him in 2016 being angry, at the country having become fundamentally unfair on many different uh, things. Jack Smith's prosecution, Hunter Biden not prosecuted. Joe Biden's family making a billion dollars. Eight million people walk into the country. Do you think that unfairness is combining into the the existing Trump base to give him his his force? Uh, Yeah. And and I think. The moon wing of the Democratic Party, who always makes the same mistake. They think that the American people are, are stupid. Um, people in this country notice when their justice system is being politicized. And, and what it looks like from, from the moon wing of the Democratic Party is they're, they're trying to, to steal the election in plain sight. Oh, I'm glad you brought that up. Ballots. Your colleague, Chris Coons, a friend of mine, he's a very smart lawyer. You're a very smart lawyer. I've taught yeah. constitutional law since 1996. The idea that Article uh, Section 3 of the 14th Amendment is self-executing and the main Secretary of State can throw Trump off the ballot, that is an idiotic point of view. And the Colorado Supreme Court will be reversed. Do you agree with me on that? I think the Supreme Court will reverse because there's no been no due process. You can't throw somebody off a ballot, I don't care who they are, without due process. And that's all they're doing. And that's what it looks. The optics are terrible for the Democrats. And I think I think it makes the the Republicans and President Trump stronger. How can how can Chris Coons? He's a wonderful guy. Uh, He's been a guest on my show many times for a Democrat. He's a wonderful guy. How in the world can he say it is obviously true? that Colorado can take him off the ballot. Well, it is obviously not. Well, you know, Chris is a good guy. He's a friend of mine. We just don't agree. And he's got to toe the party line. And he's close to President Biden. And, uh, you know, right now, the American people wouldn't trust President Biden to open a can of Pringles. I mean, that's how low his numbers are. And and uh, Chris is going to do everything he can to prop up his friend. I get that. That's politics. But all I'm saying is you're not going to fool you're not going to fool the American people. They may not read Socrates every day, but they get it sooner or later. They get it. They're busy earning a living, but they get it and they've got it. 
They, and they, uh, that's why President Biden's poll numbers are on a journey to the center of the earth. And they're not going to get better. Senator John Kennedy, it's always a pleasure to talk to you, cavalier or not. It's good to talk to you. Thank you, Senator. You have a great 2024. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.